Operation Christmas Child has been in full swing this week. It's gone wonderfully. We had a great packing party, 217 boxes, and that's not including the ones that you're bringing individually. So hopefully we'll break a 300 mark. That's our goal anyway. Um, but so far, those are all filled. Um, those are all the boxes from other churches so far, and, uh, and some of ours are mixed in there with them. And then we're keeping a good count, and we'll give you a good head count or you know a, a box count on t- uh, next Wednesday or, or Sunday. We'll, we'll get that to you. Next Sunday after second service, we'll be starting uh, practice for the kids, uh, Sunday school kids Christmas program. If you want to stick around for that and plan on it, um, that'll be next Sunday after second service. Today is kind of your last day. I know that tomorrow is the actual last day for Operation Christmas Child, but if you can get your boxes in by four o'clock today, that helps us. And, uh, and if you do run behind and you want to bring them tomorrow, we'll be open for a couple hours, but we do leave at 10. Um, we'll be pulling out of here at 10 a.m. After that, you can't, we can't catch up. You'll have to ship them uh, yourself over to uh, North Carolina. So, um, so today at 4 o'clock is a good deadline for you if you want to use that. Is there anything else you want to go over? I think that's about it. Oh, yeah, this Wednesday we do our kind of our Thanksgiving potluck. That's going to be at 630 uh, right before the service. All the kids and the adults will be in here, and we'll do a short teaching. And uh, our meat will be ham. That's what we're bringing. So if you want to bring a side that goes along with that, that'll be this Wednesday. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these three psalms written by all these different men um, who had love for you and had a heart for you and um, still applies to us today. We see the beauty of their relationship with you, and we can can compare it to ours, and um, we can grow from it. And we pray that that's what would happen today, that we would grow from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 85 is written by the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah, the, Korah didn't do so well. Their dad, we've gone over this before, but just a, a refresher course. Korah tried to take over the authority of Moses, uh, not ordained, not anointed by God, but just thought he could do it better. And of course, that maybe he could have, but the point was God hadn't chosen him. And that was the difference, the difference between anointing versus uh, ability. And uh, so the ground swallowed him up. Um, that's the short version of that story. And his sons here obviously have been doorkeepers for the Lord in his house, and uh, um, they've fared pretty well considering their dad's heritage, um, which a lot of us, you know, a lot of you have had to overcome some things in your past. Um, maybe you're the first generation of your, of your lineage that's actually been born again. Uh, maybe churched your whole life, but never born again, and you're the first ones. And um, well, that's good. Uh, it, it may not be as smooth as maybe other people who have had generational relationships with Jesus. In other words, their parents and their grandparents, you know, and uh, you've grown up in the ways of the Lord. You maybe felt like they had a jump start on your walk. Well, you're giving somebody else a jump start on theirs. That's how you have to look at it. And these sons of Korah are doing well. And uh, God is pleased with them. So they write this beautiful psalm. It says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Selah. Pause. Uh, The idea of this psalm is you're restoring us. You're bringing us back. Now, it's not a completed project, and I think that Psalm 86 will really be a wonderful companion to this um, as we get into it, but the, the repentance has taken place. The restoration is in progress, but the repentance has happened. And that's the first step in anybody's relationship with God. 
as they first realize where they are compared to his holiness. They realize they've fallen short. And so they turn away from all the things that have led them away from God's holiness, his sanctification in their lives, and then they've turned back towards him now. And, and that's the restoration process. God then can begin to build in that person's life now that there's some obedience. It's hard to train a disobedient you know, person. That's the hardest part of God's process in a person's life is convincing the person that he's there to help them and that they need to submit to him. That is the hardest part. It isn't about getting rid of our sins. It isn't about taking away this addiction or that addiction. We think those are the hardest things God has in store for us. The hardest part of God's work in our lives is convincing us to let him work in our lives. That's the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle. And so once you've given that over to him, once you've surrendered your life over to him and you're a born-again believer, you've allowed him to be to let you be that new creation in Christ that he wants to do, to restore your mind, to give you a new heart and a new mind, to begin to start that process. It goes a lot faster when there's cooperation from us, you know? And so he's just excited. It's happening. You're showing favor to the land. You've brought us back out of captivity. You've forgiven our sins. You've covered our sins. And now verse 3, you've taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Now, this is where verse 4 picks up the, now work on us, you know. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. We want to be back where we were, and even better, you know. We want to be closer than we ever have been with you. We, we, we you know, we, we've, we've come back kind of kicking the sand and sorry, God, and we feel bad about our sin and there's that restored relationship, but we can't still look at each other in the eye. And all he's saying in these last three verses or four verses, four through seven, I want to look you in the eye like I used to. I want to just, I want to go back to the way it was. Can we just push the reset button basically? Can we do that? And he wants to. He desires that. Here's what he wants for us and gives to us. And this is the hardest thing for us to accept from him, I think. It's been coming up a lot in my own quiet time. It's like that thing that God wants to work on in my life during this season in my life. It's these two verses. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. God wants to speak these things to us, but what he's speaking to us is peace. And not like the peace, like the world has co-opted so much of our language um, from the Bible. And so when the world talks about peace, they're, they're really talking about something different. And God's peace is so much deeper, and it's, a, it's, a, it's focused on on more between us and him, just having that peace. And when that takes place in our lives, then we begin to have peace with one another. But until the peace is with God, then we don't have that peace with each other. We've got to start there. And then both have to have that peace with God for us to have peace between each other. And so when he calls to us and wants us to have that peace, we really have to believe him. I want you to have a peaceful heart. Sometimes we feel guilty when we're not worked up like everybody else is about a certain topic or subject. And boy, 
we can fall into that trap of, yeah, yeah, I'm stirred up too. I'm stirred up too. And, and the peace is gone. He's like, no, I've, I've called you to peace. That doesn't mean he doesn't want us to be active or involved. He doesn't want us to be unaware of the difficulties in this world, but he wants us to have peace in it. We bring peace to the table as Christians. We bring peace to the conversation. Yes, we know who's right and what's wrong. We have the scriptures. We know exactly where sin is and where sin isn't. We know what sanctification is. We know what God's perfection is. We know what his end goal is. We know what his end, well, we have prophecy. We know exactly how it all turns out. We come in and are supposed to come in with peace, not anxiety, not worry, not, I'm going to make up a word now, ready? Franticity. We come in frantic. Because we think that's how we're supposed to look. Everybody's frantic. I'm frantic too. I'm, a, I'm as frantic about this as you. I'm as frantic as the next guy. Oh, well, that doesn't help anybody at all. Peace. I want to come in with peace. Why aren't you worked up? Oh, I'm, I don't know that I'm worked up, but I'm ready for action. Is that worked up enough for you? Why are you so calm? Because I know exactly what I'm going to do. Well, how come you're not worried or have any anxiety over the whole situation? Because I know exactly how it's going to turn out. I know exactly where we're going. I have the viewpoint that, as every Christian should have, God's viewpoint on this. So I stand above it, in it, active. I win because God wins, and I'm with his team. We bring peace, not anxiety, worry. In John chapter 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's called us to this. This is a, this is a command that we have to obey. I, I would like it to be a request or a, uh, uh, hey, just so you know, a whisper in your ear from God, you know you have peace. But I don't know that anybody listens to that anymore. It's almost like you have to tell them, no, you're supposed to have peace, so have peace. Just get it. Accept it. Quit fighting it. It's like we have to move that peace out of our heart that Christ automatically gives us in him so that we can be as anxious as everybody else around us. It's like you have to work at it. You don't. Let God give you that peace, receive that peace, and live in that peace. Be peaceful. We can. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is during one of the worst times in history for the Christian. I mean, this is before he's crucified, before his ascension. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. This is the worst time in the disciples' history. I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to have trouble. I don't want you to be afraid. Now, what happens to him? They're troubled, they're afraid, they, they forget all of this. Well, we have hindsight that they didn't have, so I'm going to give them a break. They're talking to their Messiah in the flesh. They're eating lunch, breakfast, dinner with their Messiah, and the next day he's going to be dead. I can understand their anxiety and their worry, not quite understanding that that was going to take place. Kind of knew. He kind of told us. I mean, he, but we, did, we thought it was cryptic. We thought it was some sort of coded message. But yeah, there he is, dead. And we're trying to deal and process all that information now. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us and training us and all that. But we're way past that. We're 2,000 years past the cross as Christians. We should have this John 14 down and this John 16 down. 
And if we don't, that's okay. You do today, though. We're to have peace way beyond what this world has to offer, way beyond what's normal, what the world sees and expects. We're to be uncomfortably peaceful around people, if that makes sense. It's like, I don't know that your faculties are all together because you should be very worried about what's going on right now. I'm not. I'm not at all. It's very peaceful. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's a different kind of peace. And so this psalmist here, as we come back to this, let me reread verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. That's what gets them in trouble. That's what gets all of us in trouble. And I think 86 is going to help us a lot with that today. How not to turn back to folly, or at least understand why it happens. It's not accidental when we turn back to folly. We truly turn back to folly. Verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Of course, this is about Jesus. At one point in time when all four of those things came together, mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace, all assembled at the cross of Jesus Christ. The truth, Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and life. It pops up, springs up of Nazareth of all places, you know. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It does. And then righteousness came, and he's going to lead us in those paths of peace, in those paths that we're supposed to walk in. Jesus is very peaceful. He's very peaceful. Don't Remember Martha and Mary always worried? Now, oh, if you'd only been here sooner, Lazarus would have. If you'd just come. I mean, we know you have all these great magical powers. I wonder if that's what it looked like to them sometimes. You, know, you can raise people from the dead, but you didn't get here in time as if there's a time limit, you know, for God. You know, if you got here, you could have healed him, but now he's dead, and that's too much for you, is the idea. No, it's not too much for me. In fact, I delayed my coming on purpose, he says. I walked slowly in peace, knowing what I was going to do, because you needed to see this. You needed to see something more than just the typical regular healings, which we would be ecstatic to see nowadays, right? I wanted to do something more than that. I wanted to resurrect somebody from the dead. So that's why this has happened. So open the tomb. Oh, but Lord, he stinks. It's been, it's been four days. Good. Then he's good and dead was how Jesus saw it. That was his peaceful response. Open it anyway. Let's see what I'll do. You know, All that we'd let God do those things in our lives. That's what he wants to do. So here's how it happened. Psalm 86 This is a prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord. For I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant mercy to all those who call upon you. 
David cries upon the Lord, cries out to the Lord for help. And he does something special here. He says, I'm lifting up my soul to you. Now, we have things that we do or say in Christianity that confuses a lot of people. And if you're not versed in this language, you don't know what we mean or you don't know why you do it. You start saying it too because that's the right thing to say, but you don't know why you're saying it. Like I'm lifting up my petitions to the throne room of God. What? What are you talking about? I'm laying my problems at the feet of the al- at the foot of the altar. I mean, and then we get the words all mixed up sometimes because we even we don't know why we say the things we do. I'm coming before the throne room of God and laying them at the feet of the chair of the Master of the Most High. What are you talking about? You know, it's very simple. I think, and the scriptures that come to mind are, are about clay, clay. Okay. So the first scripture is Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are potter. And all we are the work of your hand. So when David says here, I want to lift up my soul, I'm laying my lump of clay on your wheel, and I'm backing away from the process, and I'm letting you do the making. Everybody can kind of understand that. I think we can get that. If you've ever watched someone do pottery, the wheel's spinning, their hands are wet, they dip it in, and they begin with this lump of clay, and the first thing you got to do is slam it on that wheel and center it. And it's like this at first, and as you apply pressure to it, it begins to get its shape, sort of a cone maybe, and then they begin to work it up. They begin to work it. They get their hands wet so it's slick, so it moves freely in their hands. You, could, you see the process of that. At no time... Does the clay get to do what it wants to do? The master is forming it. At no time do we or should we put our hands on it, is the idea. The second scripture is Jeremiah 18.4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. That's all that's happened. It's a very simple thing. We were from dust. We were made. I mean, you can't get a better analogy, right? He formed Adam out of dust. He breathed life into him. He formed him and made him. And what happened? Adam got marred. And so God says, you must be born again. You got to get back on the potter's wheel and you, you got to let me form you again and make you new. Guys, that is Christianity 101 and all you need to know. You do what David does here. Lord, I'm lifting up my soul to you. Take this lump of clay, and I'm backing away from the process. The only time God can't do what he wants to do with the clay is when the clay hops off the wheel by itself. This is where our analogy falls apart a little bit. Or when we get our little grubby fingers on it ourselves. Oh, that looks great. Let me help. You know, off the... Slam, start again. You know. What we read in 85 is simply that. The nation of Israel has been 
reformed, reconstituted, water added to that dry material that's turned out to be this yucky mess, put back on the wheel. And now that we've returned to the wheel of God, the potter's wheel of God, would you put your hands on us and form us and make us into what you've always wanted us to be? We're not even going to suggest what you want. You just make us the way you want to make us. Revive us, take us back, make us new, do all the things you want to do. David then in Psalm 86, I lift up my soul and I lay it before you. When we talk about laying our difficulties and our problems and our lives at the feet of Jesus, this is what you're saying. I'm letting the clay of my life, that lump that has, is formless and that I've made a mess of, and I'm giving it to you, and just do what you do. God does such beautiful work. In our lives. That's, that's the simplicity of being the lumps of clay that we are. He does such beautiful work if we just keep our hands out of it and let him do what he needs to do with us. If we just obey, just stay on the wheel. Yeah, it spins a little fast sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure sometimes. There's some force. There's some movement. There's some... Just stay on the wheel and trust his work. He'll fix your marriage. He'll change your lives. He'll take away things that you can't take away yourself. He'll bring things into your life that didn't think you can do. He'll make you and form you into a vessel that you didn't think you were capable of being that kind of container for him or useful to him in any way. David says, I'm just lifting up my soul to you because everything you do is good for me. God is never mean to the clay. Feel like it sometimes, maybe a little too much pressure. You can't, you don't think you can stand it, but he never gives us more than we can bear. Just trust God with the process. Let, let God do what he wants to do. That's my biggest problem with as a pastor is people hopping on and off the wheel. Oh, I hopped off the wheel again, you know. All I can tell you is just stay back with God. You know, what do I do now? I've, I've gotten off the wheel. The only thing you can do is to get back on the wheel. What do I do now? I've, I've messed my life up. Well, you just got to go back to reading his word, prayer. Yeah, you need to go to church. No, you can't avoid it anymore. You're not, you can't be the lone ranger. You can't be the lone wolf out there. You need people. I know, but last time I came, I hate sitting next to that person. Yes, and they hate sitting next to you as well. And that is the pressures and the fingers of God upon your life causing you to form, you know. I love Colorado. It's one of my favorite states. Not the people necessarily. No, I'm kidding. I like the people. I love the Colorado River, though. It seems like every time I, for a while there, I thought I was cursed. Every time I would visit the Colorado, they would have the world's greatest flood from the Colorado River. First time I went with my grandparents, I think I was nine years old back in the 70s or whatever like that, and they had the huge flood that about wiped out every town. I'm like, okay. And we barely made it out because like the water was rushing behind us and we got out of there or something. And we read about it on our way through Nebraska, driving back, you know, to Sioux City, Iowa. We just missed it. Next time I go, well, we were camped right by there, you know, right by the Colorado River. And the neatest part about it are the stones, right? The smooth stones that are there. They're just so smooth. Well, they don't start that way. We've been through rock slides before, and we've seen the rocks. Crazy stuff, these gigantic boulders. Some of them, not, maybe not the size of this room, but a quarter of the size of this room. And they got to bring out blasters and all this heavy equipment. Well, that gets all shredded and shard. Then they just push it off, you know? And that's all craggly and hard and sharp. 
But as that water rushes it down the road, washes it down the, the river to tumble, 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 and the rocks begin to bang into each other, taking off those sharp edges. You see where I'm going with this, church? That's when you get smoothed out. That's when you become neat looking, you know? Church is very, very important for the process. You know, God wants to do lots of different things for us. Church is one area where we rough each other up a little bit. And so the world is another place where we get roughed up a little bit. Everything's on, by design, you know. God works these things out. Anyway, that's what you do when you find yourself off the wheels. You get back on and you let God put some pressure back in your life again. Let him get his hands on you again. Keep yourself in that love of Christ. Keep yourself in that place. That's all he does. He's so focused on that life. you've ever watched anybody do this clay, it's amazing. They're so focused on it and the centering and the even pressure. And they, they know exactly what they're doing in their mind. And as you're watching it, you're watching them build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, build it. And you don't, I don't know what. And all of a sudden, there it is. You know, wow. And their handles don't fall off like ours did in seventh grade when we did our clay. You know, their handles stayed. He does good work. And he puts it in the fire, of course. That's probably the hardest part. Once you think you're getting, oh, I'm a great vessel. Look at this. Yeah, but you're still squishy. You know? You're going to be great. We're going to seal up those pores. We're going to glaze you. We're going to do all that we need to do. But the intense heat that makes you hard and permanently usable by God, that's the hardest part. But so much a part of the process. Even Peter says, don't consider it strange that these fiery trials have come upon you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Don't consider that strange. Very important. Verse 6, give ear. That's all he's asking for. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you and you you will answer me. It's all about God hearing David's cry. I just want you to hear me, God, because I know if you hear me, it's done. Among the gods, that's a little g. I'll talk about that in a minute. There is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. That's a big G. One time we had a, a psalm. I don't remember which one it was. Maybe JC would remember. I can't remember. We sang a psalm, and it says, You are great above all other gods. You know. And this is, this is probably a longer story than it needs to be, but I've got time. Um, I got, a, I got a, a letter or an email. I don't remember how it came. I don't remember how long ago it was. And they were person was very upset that we were singing about other gods in church. That there is no other God other than God. He is the only true God. And I got this long, 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 long letter about, ah, da, da, da. And all I could respond was, you know, Psalm so-and-so. Why don't you read it? Oh, because the, the, ver- the, the words were verbatim. I mean, we just put music to the psalm. It's just God's word that we sang, you know. Of course, there's no other gods. There are other little Gs that the Bible talks about all the time. These little gods that we make, that we create, 
But of course, there's no value to them. It's only capital G God that we care about. He's the only true and living God. You know, we know all that. Now, here's what I, let's see what I, when I responded with just the simple Psalm, Psalm so-and-so, read it. I didn't mind the letter. What, what I loved about the letter was the passion for the Lord. I, that's great. Be a Berean. Make sure that the church you're going to is doing what, exactly what it's supposed to do. You know? And if they're not, let them know. I'm all for that. That's great. But also, be humble enough that if you're wrong, say you're wrong and accept this. The zeal was great, but it was without knowledge. The excitement was for the Lord, but it was in ignorance because we were just singing God's word, you know. And of course, that was the hard part of the second. The response to my psalm was there was so much pride that they couldn't just say, oh, duh, I didn't know we were singing a psalm. That makes total sense now. Got it. Thanks for your patience. You know, I'm just learning something like that to that effect. No, they just went on another rant. It was unfounded. And I'm like, okay, unfortunately. The humility that David brings here to this Psalm 86, this desire for God as a king, God, would you hear me? Would you lift up my, I'm lifting up my soul to you. Would you give your abundant mercies? I want my prayer and supplications. I, among all the little G gods, there are none like you. You're the greatest. Now, David knows what he's saying. He's not saying, God, you're in great competition. It's a good thing you're beating everybody. He knows there aren't any other gods. It's just poetic for him. Of all the other things that could take my attention, of all the other things that could um, cause me to be infatuated, you're so much better than all the shiny things here on earth that are meant to distract and to keep us from from you, basically. Anyway, he continues, teach me your way, verse 11, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now, David's never been there, but you understand it's prophetic. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life. You have not set, and, I'm sorry, and have not set you before them. That's the problem. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. It's a beautiful, humble prayer that David would offer up to God. Please do these things for me. It, it's, it, David toggles between, I'm a holy person. I'm walking with God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So help me because of that. But then he also says in the same breath, I know who I am. I know I'm but dust. There's this humility there too. And to find that balance as a Christian, to understand that, no, I don't deserve maybe to be a son of the Most High God. The fact is, I am a son of the Most High God. Same with you. You know, to understand that in our hearts, 
um, that I, I, don't, I don't feel worthy to ask you, but who else am I going to ask? So therefore, I'm asking even in unworthiness. To get that in our minds, to understand that relationship with him, of course he's higher and better and all these things. I would hope so, you know. But for me to be so prideful to think that I'm so beneath him that he can't help me, that's, a sense, that's in a sense pride on our part. No, you're not beyond God's help. For you to say that is almost prideful. No, God, I'm too big of a problem for you. I'm that big of a deal. You know, in a funny kind of way. No, no, God can do anything with you. It doesn't matter what you've done as far as your sin goes. It doesn't matter where you are. You could pray this prayer that David prays, and God will begin that work in you. Nothing is outside of his reach. To say so is to limit him, and he won't be limited. Psalm 87. Now, this is from Korah, the sons of Korah again. His foundation, he's going to talk about Jerusalem here. This is all about the city, the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me preface it with this. Um, God loves everywhere. He's not the God of Jerusalem only. He's not the God of Missouri. You know, this isn't the promised land like some groups think. You know, God is everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. We get that. But that being said, Jesus does have to come to earth He does have to do what he needs to do. So there has to be a time. There has to be a location. These things are true. And so Jerusalem is that place. It's always been that place. He's always set that as the focal point. So the writers are are singing about this. And the reason Jerusalem is so great is because God has set his face on this place. Okay. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This is what I'm going to say. This one was born here or there. And of Zion, it will be said, uh, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. Now, all he's saying is, when I write down genealogies, when I write down this, I'm going to say, they were born in Jerusalem, and they were born in Jerusalem, and they were born, because it's a special place, you know? Um, the Lord will record, verse 6, when he registers the people, this one was born there. Pause. Now, they write an entire song, it's not a very long song, I mean, you know, seven verses, about Jerusalem, this city. Throughout the Bible, you'll see a parallel between two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon, from the beginning all the way to the end. It's in Genesis, and then when you get to Revelation, you've still got these two cities. It's a battle. And of course, they're, they're, they're emblematic of a walk in the spirit versus a walk in the flesh. That's the difference. Um, Walking with God, walking with Satan, walking with in obedience, walking in disobedience. And you'll see that go all the way through. Um, and both these cities are. And so when you write a song about a city, about Jerusalem, there's a lot more to it than just talking about the geographic location. There's a, it, there's a beautiful to walk in the obedience of God. It's beautiful that God sets his, his eyes and his heart and his mind and his, his, his focus on those that are in obedience to God, those who are walking in his ways. That's that's the spout where the glory comes out, you know? And you want to stay in that place is the idea. And I'll document those and I'll write down those who are registered there. You see? 
When we get this Lamb's book of life opened, we're registered in it as believers in Jesus Christ, seasoned saints, uh, citizens of heaven. We're put down in the books, basically, as believers in Jesus Christ. If that hasn't, if you haven't done that today, if you haven't made yourself a citizen of heaven, if you haven't accepted the forgiveness that Christ has to offer, you need to do that this morning. And we'll pray that at the end of the service here. But to move from the city of Babylon to move to the city of Jerusalem is a very important role for every human being. To walk from disobedience to, dis- to obedience, to move from fleshy existence to a spiritual existence. It's very important for all of us. I was going to go in a direction here, and I don't know that I will. I'm hesitant because it's a little springboardy. What that means is it doesn't have to do with the text necessarily. Um, um, yeah, I better. I just won't. It doesn't matter. We'll get it later, some other time. I've been to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've, some of you might, be, might have been in Jerusalem before. You've seen pictures of it. I mean, it's an interesting city, you know. But I've been to New York. It's a little more interesting, to be honest with you. Um, I've walked the streets of Jerusalem, and there's a lot of historic value there, obviously. And there's a lot of neat things to think about. Usually everything's 30 or 40 feet below you. When they walk around, this is the street 40 feet below you that Jesus walked, you know, and, and so on. And, and this is a rock that's set upon 12 other rocks, and down there was when Jesus... So you really don't oftentimes get a handle or a, on the actual stuff. You're seeing... Because it's like Tel Aviv, the word tell is just the idea that a city's been built on a city on top of a city on top of a city on top of a city. That's what the word tell is. So you can see Tel Aviv. Aviv is the city on a tell, and then tell a dada and tell a tell a tell. There's lots of tells over there, okay? So when you go to Jerusalem, you understand you're standing upon thousands of years of city upon city upon city upon city is the idea. So when you actually step on these rocks, you know, oh, like the wailing wall where they go to pray, you know, and you see the guys in the black, you know, uh, they're, they're doing their prayer, and you, and you can go there and write a little prayer and stick it in the wall too if you want to do that. Well, that wall isn't the temple, it's the retaining wall that they used to hold up the soil of the Temple Mount where the temple was built, but it isn't really like temple-structured stones at all. Um, off of that wall, though, around the edges, you'll see big stones that Rome had rolled off the top, huge stones, and they've crashed to the ground. That's as close as you're going to get. That's as close as you can get to actually touching something that was during Jesus' era. That being said, all that to be said, um, it's interesting to walk around, but it isn't. The reason it's special is because God has made it special by his presence. And he's, he's not there anymore. He will come back to that location. We know that's where he returns, and that's exciting. He's going to set his foot on the soil and his foot in the sea and, and all that. And we see all that taking place, and that's amazing. But um, as far as this song goes, this song is designed to... It says, all the singers, all my springs are in you, this city. You are the rivers of living water as believers in Jesus Christ, this place of obedience and walking in Jerusalem and not Babylon anymore. Wherever you go, you're the spring. Um, He calls us the temple. I mean, there's so many things throughout Scripture that you have to pull together to, to see this, but 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say you're Jerusalem. You're not. There's an actual location, and that's what he's writing about here. But wherever you go, you bring this spring of water. You bring the presence of Christ. He's no longer there at that geographic location. He's now wherever you are is the idea. It is a supernatural event that's taken place at the cross. And when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, given to all believers, he now resides in you. You now have the living water in you. And wherever you go, you bring him with you. Which goes back to 85 or 86, which is, or, you know, you're the, you're the vessel. Um, you're, the, you're, the, you're the clay. You're the, you're the vessel that he, what he wants to put himself into the, to carry you around. So it isn't just for you to become something new on the potter's wheel. Sometimes we're excited about that, you know. It's what you're going to contain after you're off the potter's wheel, after you've gone through the fire. It's after that, it's when you get used by the king in his service. If you're still on the wheel and you keep hopping off, it's very difficult to become the vessel he wants you to be, to be fired, to be sealed, to be used, to be filled, to be poured out into others. It's a, it's a thing. It's a deal. You know? I just encourage you to stay there on that wheel. Become the vessel that he wants you to be and don't complain about what he makes you into. Just be that. Then be filled with the Lord and pour yourself out into other people's lives and let that spread. Be that Jerusalem in their life, so to speak. That's where we close today. Now, some of you need to get back on the wheel, and you know it. We'll pray that. Some of you didn't even know you were lumps of clay and needed to be on the wheel. We'll talk about that too. Some of us are on the wheel and are spinning awfully fast, and we need prayer just to hold on, and I get that. So let's work our way through that in prayer. It'll be a longer prayer than normal. Lord, for those of us this morning, who have come into this place and we've heard your word. And we maybe had the idea of just adding you to our lives as a philosophy or as as good intentions. We now know that we need to put our lives entirely into your hands to let you form us and make us into what you want us to be. And so this morning we ask for the forgiveness of our sins to be restored to you in fellowship. But we also want to come before you and, and like David prayed and like we've read today, we want to place our lives in your hands. We want to leave our lives in your hands. We want you as the potter to make us the clay to whatever you want us to be. And so we surrender our lives to you this morning. We give them over to you. This, you're such a beautiful artist to do with us whatever you want to do. That we don't want to be the lumps of clay we've always been. We want to be what you intend us to be. And so we place ourselves in your hands. We ask for forgiveness. We receive that forgiveness from you. And we want to be born again. We want new hearts. We want new minds. Lord, there's another group of us here that have gotten off the wheel. We were tired of the pressure. We were tired of what you were making us into. We didn't enjoy the process. And we thought it would be better if we left your presence and left your hands. We want to come back now. We put ourselves back into your lives, into your, into your life. We take our lives and place them in your hands, God. We pray that you continue the process that you began in us and that you would complete it. 
We look forward to that. And Lord, we do not want to get off this wheel again. We don't want to start over. We want to stay right where you have us. We understand the pressures that will come upon us. We understand that you're going to change us. And we want that. You always look out for our best interests, and we can trust you. So this morning, we trust you again with our lives. And Lord, for some of us who are on the wheel and are being pressured and are being changed, and it's been an interesting week, month, year, season, we're encouraged by your word today that those are some of the, some of the most pressure, pressure-filled times in our lives are when you're doing your, your greatest work in our lives, forming some of the deepest parts, being prepared for the service that you have for us, God. We thank you for that. Forgive us for even thinking or entertaining the idea of hopping off this potter's wheel. We're staying. So continue, Lord, and do whatever you want to do with us. We continue to be surrendered to you in our lives. Lord, as a church body, I pray that you'd make us into what you want us to be, God. We'd submit to your authority, to your hands in our lives. And you'd form and make Calvary Chapel Maryville into what you want it to be. I pray that for all the churches in town. We're not all going to be the same vessel. Pray for every church that is submitted to you that you would do what you want to do with each of us. And make us into who you want us to be. And that we would ultimately, obviously, contain you. And that when people come, they'd be in your presence. That they'd that they encounter you, Lord. Lord, bless these folks today. Thank you for the salvation you've given us. Thank you for the work you want to do, that you want to make us into these beautiful vessels of honor. What a privilege to be where we are today. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. If you want to come back from 2 to 4, we'll be doing boxes still. A lot of churches come today because they wait till today to do their dedication. So come on back if you want to.